mustache tails. Yeah! Hello, everybody. This is Mustache Tales Podcast with Jay Chandrasekhar and Hayes MacArthur. Our guest today is Steve Lemmy, and I'm going to tell a little story about Steve Lemmy. I mean, look, there, there are many stories that we could tell, like... Uh, and I don't remember how we first met Steve, but um, you weren't terribly memorable, I guess. But the uh, the uh, story I didn't come t- on this podcast to be attacked, uh, Jay. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember it, either. Pal. I don't remember it either. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, I do remember meeting Heffernan. But whatever, I already told that story. So the um, the story I wanted to tell was uh, when we graduated college. Um, we were basically like low-level alcoholics. Like we were drinking seven nights a week. We were, you were living on my couch. You had dropped out of school uh, because you had, I believe you kicked a series of windows in the foyer, uh, a a window. You kicked a window just because why the fuck not, uh, uh, apparently. And you cut yourself, which frankly, when I heard that story, I'm like, he deserved it. and then you had to limp, uh, as, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but you had to, and you were at the bottom of the hill, and it was winter, and now you had to somehow get up to class, and you were on a cast, and you were like, I can't make it to class, so then your grades plummeted, and then you effectively just had to leave school, right? Is this the story you're telling about me? This is the wow. prelude this, this, to the story, pre- the prelude. <laughs> so then you end up on I've, my couch, uh, and yeah. Heffernan's couch in New York, we have not created Broken Lizard yet. We're just basically going out seven nights a week and drinking. Right. Uh, and one of the bars, oh, right, I was also loaning you money. Um, I, was gonna, I was about to because jot that note. Because you didn't have a job, and I don't know, I was working in like a, I don't know, gallery or something. I, I didn't have that much money, but I loaned you some money. What the hell? Uh, and so you're, you're living on my couch. I'm paying your basically hefty nightly drinking uh, budget because you were <laughs> a, a little bit of a, a heavy drinker i mean so was i but um Wait, and so low level alcoholic or high level what? high I'm level so seven days a Good. week baby well, thank you and thank you. so i'm i'm paying for two alcoholics at this point and uh we used to go to this bar called richter's on the upper east side hmm. and the problem with steve and i is that for whatever reason, our animals desire the same kind of woman. Um, and we just have the same fucking type. And so we would we would basically go to Richter's and be there till the goddamn bitter end, till they close. And there would always be one woman in there. And she'd be out, you know, we'd be, she'd somehow find her way back to our tables. Maybe she went to Vassar or she went to, you know, somewhere. And I would... I would immediately be like, oh, yeah, I'm going for it. And I'd be in there going for it. Lemmy would walk in from some other bar he came in. He'd see the the girl I was talking to, and he would start going for it on the other side of her. And the two of us ended up kind of, you know, every time one of us went to the bathroom, the other guy's insulting the other guy. And, you know, we were just you know, trying to cut him down. And we were just dueling. And at the end of the night, the two of us would end up together and the woman would have left long ago thinking these two guys both suck. Um, Which spawned the uh, joke that we did in the film, our first film, Puddle Cruiser, our first feature film, Puddle Cruiser, 
where in that movie, Kevin Heffernan and Paul Soder are dueling for a woman's affections. And that was, this is the joke that from Steve and I. And as soon as Kevin goes to the bathroom, Paul says to the woman, oh, yeah, nice. You and Garbage Dick, huh? Wow. I, I just didn't realize that. Uh, and she's like, Garbage Dick? And he goes, oh, it's just a nickname. It was from a medical thing. But that's long gone. I mean, I mean, with penicillin these days, I really wouldn't worry about it. I mean, you can really manage it nicely. And so that was the joke that that uh, that Steve and I spawned from real life. Wow. Okay. Let, I have some notes on this. Uh, first of all, I, yes. I'd like to say that I this podcast sucks. I'm not happy to be here. I've been under fucking constant attack since I got on here. But but I appreciate from the that. beginning. Yeah, from the beginning. From the beginning. Like right away. First your browser issues, and then Jay just launches into the fact that you guys were cock blocking each other. Yeah. It's been relentless. Yeah, I apologize. I just I'm the friendly host. I, I just I'm the want... friendly host on the show. Yeah. Steve, great to see you. Thank man. you, Hayes. It's been a long time. Thank you, Hayes. Is the family well? I mean, you've got so much success in your life. Thank you, Hayes. The show coming out, which we'll talk about later. Thank you. But, but oh, go but... back go back to the rivalry at Richter's. Yeah, let me just no. say, no, let me hold say on, one Jay. last thing. Let me you say know, one Jay, last let me, thing. Let me tell you something, Jay. Okay, Since I know you're new to this podcast game, it's about the guest and letting the guest speak. If you want to do a Jay's monologue fucking podcast, you should call it Jay's monologues. But this is, you, you host a guest, you ask the, go, the guest questions. Let me tell you something. He said, first thing he does is say, I don't remember how I met you. You were pretty unremarkable. I think he's fucking drinking already. Okay. And a low-level alcoholic. Not even, not even like romanticizing your drinking like he was the best drunk he kicked out the windows in the dorm and we would all laugh i mean you just started at the bottom of the barrel but even even that it's like it's like he was kicking windows out like that's like i'm a fucking derelict in an alley i was karate fighting with a friend of mine and i threw a fake karate kick and i accidentally kicked through a, a one pane of a french door uh, and uh, he said, actually, it's different because it's not—it's not anger <laughs> issues. You were doing a karate move. We were fucking around. We were—we fu were play fighting. <laughs> and he's like, and he cut himself, and he had to limp. No, I severed my Achilles tendon. It's a little bit more glamorous. Ooh. I severed Which my Achilles. Was it the one of the leg that has zero muscle, or the one with the muscle? The one without the muscle. That poor leg wow. has had an uphill battle. It's whole life. I had, Hayes, I had, uh, you know, when you're a child, when I was a, a kid, they, the polio vaccine, they're actually injecting you with a small amount of live polio cells. And a very sure. rare but possible side effect is that you can actually get polio, which is what happened to me. And it ate my calf muscle. Uh, and so I don't have a calf muscle in my right leg. And so that's the peg leg, we call it. And that's the leg that unfortunately also <laughs> severed the Achilles tendon. And I would also just fucking hey, point wait, out. That's the leg you, you kick with? So this happened when you were a child. This Clearly in the 1920s or, or 30s. Is that what Yeah, back when polio was, was rampant. I was doing the I was doing the cha-cha. Or what is it? The Charleston. I was doing the Charleston. And Charleston. I accidentally kicked through a, a glass pane window. No, but when I was like. When, room. when my muscles started to grow. Like, like I could never stretch my right calf. Like it always hurt. And then, like, I couldn't get up on my tippy toe on my right calf. And we went to the doctor. He's like, oh, no, you're muscle atrophied. You you got polio from the polio vaccine. Oh. And I was lucky that it stopped just at my leg. And I'll just say this one thing. And we can put a pin in this one. When I sprint, 
that weak leg is my back leg. It's the fucking foot I push off of when I sprint. And that will come into play later when we discussed how much faster I am than Jay Chandra Sekar in sprinting. Okay. So wow. now, but I appreciate Heffernan for putting me on my, on my fucking heels here. Cause now I know what I'm dealing with. Okay. Jay's version of the <laughs> yeah, bar story. Tell you, because, well, well to, to pin that, because when Kevin came on the show and Jay introduced Kevin, it started with another competitive story where Jay was seeking out the funniest person at Colgate, someone funnier than him. And he was jousting with Heffernan about who was the funniest. So for, for you, again, he was competitive. Now we're at Richter's in this bar and you guys were competitive over women. So what I see is a 30 year friendship between all of you guys making movies and TV shows really started with a lot of animosity. Well, like, cause I actually remember my first time meeting Jay. It's a very, very flattering thing. I was a freshman and he was significantly older than I was. And he came I into- I was a sophomore. Bro, don't fucking bother me with trifles, okay? He he was older and he came in to for the to pick up his date for the beta formal. She was one of the hottest girls in the freshman class. And I and he came in in a tuxedo and he was all glossy with hair gel and a short haircut and he was like, "Hey, pal." And like and I remember and he walked out with this uh with this hot girl and I was like, "This motherfucker coming down to my goddamn coming up to my dormitory taking my women." And but that was, you know, I, I, I held him in high esteem. I was like, I got to get to know that guy. It was a very friendly thing. <laughs> and then we became fast friends. Now, the story he tells about Richter's bar is that happened a couple of times. But I can also tell the exact same story about me talking to a girl and Chandra Sekar striking out at the other end of the bar and then fucking looking around and seeing me talking to a girl and him coming up and be like, hey, what's going on over here? <laughs> and she's like, we were just talking about maybe going rollerblading twice like i'll come rollerblading with you and you're like oh bro here we fucking go again we got this here comes well, the missile from the side yes. i admit that i may have done that but it was it was only in revenge and i thought i had a chance you know look it, the reality is this it, it got so bad that steve and i had to call a truce and we had to make rules around it and said if first person to talk to her is is the is basically is the one who gets a free chance and then you know from there if it doesn't work out another day then you can go do your thing yeah and you would think that jay would have honored that agreement except the very next time here he comes hey what are you guys talking about what's going on he violated the, he violated the ceasefire what's going on over here <laughs> Why are you talking to this little guy over here? What? This, oh. little po this little polio-ridden yeah. friend of mine. Has he told you about his weak leg? <laughs> yeah. By the way, I, but I am glad he told the garbage dick story. It is true. We did. Uh, that was my nickname for Jay uh, ever since I knew him. And so we did put that in uh, in the movie. What up, garbage dick? How you doing, buddy? <laughs> That's right. That's true. It's yeah. all true. What? Uh, so, uh, what do you do? What do you do, Jay? You just roll out of bed and fucking do this podcast here. Your hair looks terrific. Well, Hayes, you look terrific, by the way. You dressed up. You got a nice again shirt on. So good to see you, Steve. You're pleasant. Wow. I just have nothing but fond memories of you, and to see you here is just means so much. I put on a Hawaiian shirt for each podcast, you know, really finding a lane, a wardrobe, a, a point of view, as they say. Yeah, it's a it. signature. It's a signature. And Jay's signature is just looking like shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, though. It's, it's cool. It's the mustache. 
you you guys need a theme song. And it's like one guy's cool and one looks like shit. <laughs> and neither have mustaches. <laughs> yeah, I have a mustache though. Look, I got I started growing my mustache. I wore my crackling bacon shirt in honor of Super nice. Troopers 2, where we nice. all worked together finally. And I'm very um, happy to be here. I was happy to be here. <laughs> Although I have to admit now it's like, it's good. It's like, you, you know, like a, like a, I'm like a puma, but like I got attacked and now I've just been fucking scratch sharpening my claws on the bark of a tree. Thanks to, thanks to Shandra Sekar. Well, so, uh, this, this was the style of uh, conversation that we practiced back in college and in post-college. It was, you know, it was, it was endless comedic insult um and it's just it's very natural for us steve yeah the house of pain that's the house House of pain that's what we called our that's right the house of pain named after the uh uh houston uh football team's stadium the house of pain right you remember that they had like a they had like a dome that they when you came in there the people yelled so loud that football teams called it the house of pain and then we took it and named our our fraternity house was the House of Pain. Mm. Nobody remembers. No, I what? thought it was based on the the hard ass Irish uh, rap group that uh, yeah. sang the song "Jump Around." Jump, jump around. That's right. that was a white. I don't remember group. anything about the Houston Oilers. Those guys were white. They were yeah. white, white. How yeah, white. I thought they were your favorite uh, <laughs> hip hop band. Well, that's oh no, because you were be, singing "Jump, Jump," but that was uh, crisscross. That was your favorite hip hop band. Oh, they just sang jump, I think that's jump. the greatest hip hop song of all time. And I will tell you, my knowledge of hip hop ends at Biggie and Snoop. Um, so it's not that big a deal to be the greatest for me, but but I really do love that song, crisscross. It's a good one. It brings people to the <laughs> dance floor. Um, uh, great podcast. So Steve, great podcast so far. <laughs> You're a natural, Steve. Jay. No, yeah. seriously. Okay. Tell me about your um, your show is back on for a fourth season right now, right? It's about to, like J- July twentieth, I think. I'm so like I'm so I, I don't even know what I'm disoriented now. Like Jay asking a legitimate host <laughs> question. <laughs> the, wait, the. The attacks have we stopped. We want to help get the word out that the attacks have stopped. <laughs> yeah. Now we're to, we're promoting Tacoma. We want to get it out there. It's July twentieth. It, it popped up today on my Instagram feed, so it's already it's already out in the ether. Hey, I just want to tell you, like, I'm my guard is not down here. This is what Jay is doing. He's doing he's doing the Velociraptor <laughs> approach. He's backing up. And he's circling around <laughs> to the other side. And just when I start to get relaxed, he's going to fuck the attack is going to come from another direction. <clears throat> Watch. Um, yes. Uh, season four of Tacoma FD is coming out July 20th. Thanks for asking Jay. And um, uh, it is the best season we've done so far. We've got uh, some great new uh, guest stars. We've got uh, in a in a really one of the most delightful strokes of luck. We got David Arquette to come and play my my doppelganger. Um, oh, that's fantastic! Well, it's a joke. I see it. It's a joke that we've been talking about since we made Super Troopers, and I had a mustache, and the great Brian Cox 
Well, he told me I looked like Freddie Mercury, and then somebody else said, or David Arquette from Scream. And that was the one that, that stuck. And, and people have always remarked on it. Like, you know, we had, we kind of had like a jowly thing going here on the, on the sides. And, uh, but we asked him to come in and play my doppelganger. Like my, my character's name on, on Tacoma FD is Eddie Panisi, uh, which is spelled penis with an I at the end of it. And, uh, and he plays a guy named Teddy Decozy. And uh, he's also a captain in the firehouse and he's he got a great fucking hairdo and he's and he's sweet. So so that was really cool uh, to after years of being called uh, David Arquette. Now, was David Arquette the guy in the bar in Park City and Sundance that we made you go stand next to? That was Emilio Estevez. OK, so we were at a bar haze in Sundance and. Whenever we saw someone famous who was, you know, I'll call it on the smaller side, we would force Lemmy to go stand I, next to them. I told you he was circling around to the other to side see, to attack me again. To <laughs> see who was taller. <laughs> and then we prayed that Lemmy would be smaller. Um, and we didn't get that very much, but occasionally we got it. But with Emilio Estevez, uh, unfortunately, we didn't get that. Steve was taller. Well, but it was... It was that was one of the most delightful things because we were at Sundance for the first time and and first we were like holy shit there's Robert Hayes from Airplane and he's he's dance on dance floor we were like hoping he was going to do like uh, you know the Saturday Night Fever spoof from the movie Airplane he was clearly taller than me and then we saw Emilio Estevez and it was like oh shit this one yeah. This one's going to be close. And they were like, come on. And there were like 15 of us. It's our first time at Sunday. There, like, there was a whole lot of betting going on. You know, there was like both sides. People were taking it. It was going to be close. Yeah. And I was like, my heart was pounding. I see both of those. I see Estevez and David Arquette as being your fakes, your fake Steve <laughs> Lemmys. I, I, I get that. Jay, who's the director that you always get confused for when people come up and say they love your movies like Sixth Sense? Yeah. Shyamalan. I, I spent two hours talking to like these two like classic Hollywood babe actresses at the uh, Sky Bar because they said, did you direct Sixth Sense? And I'm like, yeah, I did. And we just talked about that movie and whatever I could remember from his other movies, which I, I'd seen a couple for sure. Uh, and we left the conversation having never I never told them that it wasn't him. Um M. Night Shyamalan, I love you pretending to have directed Sixth Sense and be like, well, you know, my whole thing is surprises. I mean, I wanted a surprise. I'm not talking about anything technical. I'm a big surprise guy. Yeah. You know, I just like to have a twist at the end. Uh, I've also been mistaken (laughs) for, like, uh, I had, like, a dude, I was walking in Santa Monica and, and, there's no way to tell this story without saying the N-word. But uh, basically, um, he... I mean, he, there I'm is. Not gonna, I'm there actually is. There's a lot I'm of ways. Yeah. So he walks, <laughs> he walks by me, and he goes, oh, shit, you that N-word. And I'm like, and I look at him, I'm waiting, and he goes, you that White Castle N-word. And I was like, oh, that's tough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, no, I'm the Super Troopers N-word. Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, and I've also been mistaken. I went, was at a, um, I, you know, I was in a golf addiction. This is about 2002. I'm in one right now. Uh, in 2002, when I moved to L.A., I was playing 
four or five days a week. And I went to this course in uh, Santa Barbara and I walk up and, you know, look, because of our, our, you know, our film, uh, our films, it was, it was post super troopers. So it might've been a little later. We're, we're big at golf courses. We're big at uh, ski resorts. We're big at sporting events <clears throat> where guys are. So I walk in, they're like, Oh, everyone's excited. Nobody mentions the movie, whatever. And I go out to the first tee and, 15 of the crew of the people who work at the golf course show up to to watch me tee up. I'm like, well, that's a little odd. That's a little strange. And I end up just slicing my drive off onto the ninth fairway. And one guy goes, uh, he goes, oh, shit, you're not VJ Singh. Uh, and uh, I was like, what? <laughs> oh, well. That's, you're not VJ Singh, you're the guy from Parks and Recreation. <laughs> right, right. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. just flat out racist because you don't even look like VJ Singh. Well, I don't know. Is it racist or is it just a mistake? I'm well, okay with it. Okay, I'm it's okay not racist. It. It's not. Yeah. There was a, there's another great one. Do you remember this one? We were uh, in Albuquerque getting ready to shoot Beer Fest and we went out. There was a Wendy's across the street and uh, like we had been working, you know, pre-production and we went over to the Wendy's and the fuck, the people were going bananas behind the counter and we were sitting down and a dude came out and he was like, Holy, are you the guy, you're from the cop movie? And we were like, yes, we are. He's like, that's the best movie. I love that movie. And then, uh, uh, and then he was, he looked at Jay and he's like, and you, that motherfucker that does all those crazy sound effects. And he, <laughs> He thought somebody told him Super Troopers, and he came out thinking Police Academy, and he thought you were the black dude who made the sound effects. <laughs> we laughed for years about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he thought you were uh, that guy. Yeah. Now the other great guest star that made me i mean i'm jealous of david arquette i have to admit i'm like it pisses me off that you guys are friends with david arquette and i'm not but okay i'll get over it the one i'm not really sure i'll get over is tony danza yeah yeah we got uh tony danza can come and do a guest spot um Uh, in this this season this season season, yeah i think it's uh episode uh 11 (laughs) Episode eleven of, uh, of season four. He comes. I don't want to say what he does, uh, but he comes and he's phenomenal. He's so good. And it was I was like Arquette was. You know, it was great. It was it was cool to meet him. You know, came down to earth. You know, regular dude. And but Tony Danza came in and it was like like I was starstruck by the guy. It was uh, it it was royalty and. He kind of explained why I was having that effect, which is that he's like, when you, you know, when I was a kid, like Tony, like he was a big, he was the star of two huge TV shows when there were only like three networks. I realize now I sound like an old motherfucker, but like, uh, with, with polio. Yeah. I mean, polio and who's the boss are your frame of references. (laughs) Yeah. And taxi. I can go about like we had taxi, we had actors on our show who had not heard of either of those TV shows, which is horrifying, is horrifying. I don't even, I don't even want to talk about it. It was amazing to have him. He's, he's, that episode is phenomenal. It's a, it's a ridiculously hilarious episode and he's so good. And it's like, 
we were like, he came in and he wanted to do like, play like a very straight lace thing. He's like, cause you don't want me to come out here and be like Tony Danza doing this stuff. And we're like, no, we do want you to come out here and just be Tony Danza. But like he, it was great. Like he called me in like, uh, he was, he was like, Steve, come here. And like, I went into his trailer, he was in his underwear. He's like, let me show you this thing. And he had like this like boxing device and like, he was showing me how he trained boxing. I'm in his trailer. He's in his underwear and he's showing me how to like boxing moves. And uh, he was looking at my chin. He's, he's like telling me all about boxing. Because, you know, he's a, he a professional boxer. Do you know Tony Danza's story? Um, this shit is amazing. This shit is amazing. He was, he was a, a, a professional boxer. You can actually go on YouTube and type in Tough Tony Danza. That was his, like, his name, Tough Tony Danza. And he knocks. So a talent agent came to see him. And, uh, and he, the talent is like, I'm looking for like a tough guy to send out a tough guy roles. And the, the talent agent came to that thing and he knocked the guy in the first minute of the fight, he knocked the guy out of the ring. And the talent agent came to his dressing room and was like, dude, I need to sign you. That was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And then he got him an audition for the movie, the warriors. Jay, I know you love that movie. Oh, yeah. oh boy. Walter and Hill. So he, so Tony Danza goes into uh, audition for the part of Cochise. Now, Cochise is a, is a guy who dies somewhere like halfway through the movie. He wears like a cowboy hat. And the, the casting director, he's auditioning for the role, the casting directors. And then and there are all these actors in there and everything. And after the audition, he, he's like, you want to really see how tough I am. And he unrolls a boxing uh, poster. He's like, I'm fighting tonight at the garden. Come on by. And so he's, so the, the casting directors for, uh, the warriors come down and Tony Danz is in this fight and he gets knocked down three times. And he's, and each time and he's telling me, he's like, and Steve, you got to understand when you're knocked down, when you're boxing, you get knocked down, like, you know, hit on the chin that, that the canvas is like, concrete it's like quicksand like your body doesn't want to get up and he's like something kept telling me just get up get up get up he's like i got up that third time and and basically the story is in the final round after getting his ass kicked he knocked this dude out and was like you know they were like holding him up and raising his hand everything like that and he was back in the locker room and the casting directors for the warriors came back and they were like that's the best audition we've ever seen. You got the part. <laughs> and they gave him the part in, in the Warriors right there. And they flew him out to Los Angeles. And when he, he flying out to Los Angeles and he was in like the waiting room to go and meet with these people. And uh, a receptionist came down. She's like, you're Tony Danza, right? And he's like, yeah. She's like, you're the, you're the fighter. You're here for the meeting with the Warriors. And uh, she said, uh, James Brooks wants to meet with you. And so James, right now, and so Tony Danza, he's waiting to go into the Warriors to meet with the producers and the director. And instead he goes to this meeting with James L. Brooks and they're reading for Taxi. And the part of uh, the boxer is for like a big, like white heavyweight Jerry Cooney type. And so they give the script to Tony Danza and they're like, just read this, just read this for us. And he reads uh, the, the role and right there in the room, they're like, you got the part in this pilot for taxi and, wow. and they're like, we're, sh we're shooting here. And so now he's just gotten this part and his agent is like, okay, here's the problem. It's good. The pilot's going to shoot at the same time as the warriors. And, and Tony Danza is like, 
I want to do the TV show. And Joel Schumacher, I guess, who was like, had something to do like producing the Warriors calls him up. He's like, are you fucking crazy? Are you fucking crazy? You're going to do a TV show instead of a movie. We've given you this part. You'll never work in this town. That's the worst decision you'll ever make. And he's like, I'm sorry. I appreciate everything you did, but I want to be in a TV show. It's, it feels a bit like a better fit. And so he chose taxi over the Warriors. Wow. And so that's why there's another guy yeah. in the part of Cochise, but then Tony Danza taxi became the number one show and Tony Danza became a star. Anyway, that's right. The story you, didn't, you didn't have the Cochise guy on Tacoma. That's for sure. No, no, he's not on Tacoma. And he's I'm not uh, sitting in his trailer while he's in his underwear showing me boxing tips. Did, Chris, did Christopher Lloyd, Danny DeVito, Tony Danza, the cast was stacked. Yeah, it was stacked. And back then it was like it was CBS, NBC and ABC. And he's and then his story is about like. You know, he's like, I'm on Battle of the Network Stars. And, you know, like he, he's, he, he, this guy has stories. He told a great story about, because he was in Cannonball Run and, and, uh, with, and Frank Sinatra's in Cannonball Run. And he said his parents, like, were so upset that he gave up boxing and, and became an actor. And his, and even on Taxi, he was famous. And his mom was like, you know, you'll be famous as the day that you introduce me to Frank Sinatra. And so Tony Danza and his son went to see Frank Sinatra perform and then uh he said sinatra showed up for his day of shooting in a helicopter and landed and and tony danza's son was with him sinatra was taking photos with all these people and finally tony brought up his son and his son was like hey we saw you uh do a show and you know it was great it's like you were giving everybody a hard time you're the band you're teasing people and singing songs but like you were awesome and sinatra was like come here and get a picture with me kid and, and he's like, what do you, you guys are great. What do you guys want to do? And, and uh, Tony Danza was like, you know, my mom really wants to meet you. And he's like, you got it. And he sent the whole family backstage passes to a concert and brought Tony Danza's <laughs> mom and Tony Danza. And they all met. And Tony Danza's mom was like, you know. And so that's how she decided that her son was a star. That's that he good. made it. That he made yeah, it. <laughs> is, is, I have goosebumps telling these stories. Like I, when he told, I was just following him around like a like a puppy dog. Did you tell him uh, the story of uh, the thing I did to you with the picture? So we had just signed with uh, our new talent agency, the UTA United Talent Agency, and uh, I got a head. I got a, a you know Manila envelope. In the uh, in the mail and at, at my apartment in New York City, and I opened it up and it's a, an autographed headshot, Tony Danza, and it said, "Hey Steve, I just signed with UTA too. I love your work. We should work together sometime. Best, Tony." And I was like, "Holy fucking shit! Holy shit!" And I was like, "Call up Chandra Sekar. You send me this fucking headshot, motherfucker." And 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 he's like, "What headshot?" And I'm like, "I just got an autographed." headshot of Tony Danza in a reeks of Jay Shandra Sekar. He's like, hold on a second. Hold on a second. He does a group. He, he, he's like, you, what does it say? And I tell him what it says. He's like, you got to well, fucking- I'm a, prof- I'm a professional actor, but go on, go on. Yeah. So he, he's, he's like, hold, hold, no, I didn't fucking send that to you. That's unbelievable. And I'm like, I know, right? And, he, and he's like, Tony Danza, holy fucking shit. I got to come see that thing. So then, you know, I'm calling up the broken lizard guys. You send me this fucking thing. Everyone's like, no, no, their reactions are are genuine and real. And and like, and I'm like, I'm I come out of the whole thing convinced. I'm like, oh my god, Tony Danza 
uh, likes my work and wants to work with me. And we're in the same agency. And so, and I frame this fucking headshot and I put it up right in the front hall of my apartment in New York city. So that when you walk in to my apartment, you, that's the first thing you see is a piece of great conversation. Sorry. What's this? Tony Danza sent you. Yeah, I know. Right. Fucking Hollywood, baby. And, uh, a year you goes and by. twenty dry cleaners. You and twenty dry cleaners and pizzerias. And pizzerias. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Mimi's great slice, best Tony. <laughs> and uh, anyway, a year went by, and then uh, finally, Shandra Sekar confessed. I was telling the story one day to like some girl in a bar, and Jay comes up, "Hey, what's going on over here?" And I'm like, "Oh, we're talking about uh, how uh, Tony did." I'll tell you about Tony did. I sent you that fucking headshot, you fucking dummy. <laughs> I'm like, never mind him. He's always doing this. Let's can we walk over here? <laughs> oh, where are you guys going? What are you guys? We're gonna go play some pinball. I like playing pinball. <laughs> so yeah. then, like, uh, we go to do. Uh, we're about to go do Club Dread. Oh, years later. Okay. Years later. Well, so but so I told Tony Danza that story, and I was like, I got a. Uh, Tony Danza headshot in the mail and his face fought like he forward his brow, like no fucking way. And so, like, that was just the one thing I, I was like, hold on, calm down, Tony, calm down I'm telling you it is the thing. You didn't actually send it to me. So that was the, when I told him that, that story, uh-huh. he, and he was like, that guy sounds like a real fucking dick. And I was like, I know, let you go for a year like that. <laughs> I was like, it's a good prank. It's a good prank. It's a good prank. He got me. He got me. So then, like, uh, yeah. So then we go down to uh, we're gonna go down to Mexico to make Club Dread, and all a package arrives for me before I leave. And uh, inside, there's a pair of clam digger shorts, like long, like like shorts that go down just past your knees. And it was like, like, hey, man, I saw these and I thought of you and um, can't wait to see you in Mexico. And no signature. And I'm like, what in the fuck? No, I wrote, I wrote best. And it was this in you couldn't really read what it said. It was all hmm. scribbly scrabbly. By the way, this is years later, years later. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. So <clears throat> I'm like, uh, look at the return address. There's nothing on it. Postmark says Arizona. Because at first I was like, there's got to be Shandra Sekar doing this fucking bullshit again. But then I'm like, Arizona? Shandra Sekar, I know he wasn't in Arizona. I know his comings and goings. I know he was not in Arizona. I'm like, who the fuck sent me fucking clam diggers from Arizona? I'm like, Jesus Christ, now I got to bring these things down to fucking Mexico and suss out who this person is who sent them to me. So now we're down in Mexico. We're down there for 10 weeks making club every day. I'm walking around in my fucking clam diggers, hoping somebody's going to come up to me like, hey, you, you got the clam diggers. I'm wearing these dumb fucking clam. People are like, nice clam diggers, bro. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, which is, but does that have to do with the fact you have no calf muscle? Because I feel like that would accentuate. No, it the, was, they, the they, were, they were clam diggers. You could also call them capri pits. <laughs> they were, you know, <laughs> they were capri pits too. Like it was, it was, they were a terrible short. A terrible short. Um, and they were a terrible I, short. I, uh, my cousin from Arizona came to LA, or, uh, and then I, I, I said, take this package. When you get to Phoenix, stick it in the mail. Um, yeah, that, there was a whole thing. <clears throat> and Jay, and Jay says it like that. 
That's exactly how he says it because he, you know, he listened to the Robert Evans audio book, The Kid Stays in the Picture. And ever since then, that's how he tells people to do things. You take this package, you get the Phoenix, and you stick it in the mail. And the rest is history. <laughs> Boss, my cousin around? You bet I did. <laughs> That's treat true. my treat my cousin like my personal assistant. You know it, kid. Uh, so yeah, I wore those. I wore those around for a long time, and and even after that. And I asked, like, Soda was from Arizona. I'd be, I was like, you send me these fucking clam diggers? And he was like, No. Was it, the gag was just to get you to wear horrible pants? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, uh, Hayes, they actually, because they were so long, because they were capri uh, pants, basically, they hid my calf. Like, they came down the back and covered up the, the, the super deficient looking part of my calf. <laughs> While we're talking about that calf, because I know we had some, uh, when we were making Super Troopers too, we had some, uh, there were some, I know you guys go back and forth about uh, who's faster. And, and you know, and even back then, Shander Seco was like, don't race Lemmy. He's he's fast. That calf, uh, you know, like uh, Shander Seco, I don't know if you know this, Hayes, but you probably heard it that night. Like in, he, he would walk around, he's like, I'm the fastest motherfucker on this planet. I'm the fastest person you know. And we're like, really? He's like, in, in high school, my nickname was Wheels. And we're like, ooh, ooh, wheels. It's you true. must be fast. It's true. It's and true. My dad's nickname in the neighborhood, because we had these races, uh, was the rabbit. Like, he was fast as fuck. And so I was, I know, incredible that you get a neighborhood nickname, the rabbit. He won three foot races in a row. Like, year after year. We had these, we had, we had, we had like these, uh, like, remember Battle of the Hollywood Stars? We had that in the neighborhood. And my dad would win the running race, and he'd win the tennis. Uh, and so when I went to, I, I was on the football team for a week. Uh, uh, I was the fastest guy on the football team. I ran a four or five forty, uh, and so I was the fastest guy in my grade school. And so I went into college, telling a lot of people, "I'm the fastest guy you've ever met," and and nobody ever challenged me until fucking Lemmy challenges me while we're shooting. Puddle cruise. I didn't. Hold on. Hold on. Close. A guy, and I want you to remember this name, Hayes, a guy named Rob Baracci challenged Shander Sekar. And he's shorter than I am. And they were going to have their race. He's a Chicago guy. And they were going to have their race. And I just happened to be standing by. I was like, I'd like to get in on this race. So I was the third person. To which person. I was like, you only have one calf muscle. I mean, what? why would you... This is going to be so humiliating for you. Why? And I mean, he's, he's talking shit to both of us because we're both shorter. He, he's like, you think both of your little legs can keep up with these long strides? And he's like, if you stapled your two legs together and your two legs together, maybe you'd have a stride long enough to get these motherfucking tree trunks. You know, like he's talking fucking shit. <clears throat> My father was the rabbit. Yeah. We have a community with 15 houses and we have the Battle of the Network Stars. And my father is the three-time reigning champion of Hillhurst Drive. And we, let me tell you, let me tell you, Barachi and I were fucking making eye contact as we, as I crossed the finish line a little bit before Barachi, but like leaving that fucking long-legged Indian behind us. Barachi and I, he lost to two of us. The both of us beat him. 
and we and and you know and then we've continued to to race since then and and uh, you know well usually... I was convinced because we were we were first we raced in tennis shoes on a grass field and I'm like no nah, no nah, we got to go barefoot then they beat me barefoot uh, and then I'm like there's a mistake here let's go tennis shoes on cement and then he beat me on that too. Uh, so I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm the second fastest guy in Broken Lizard. You can't really brag about that. I can tell you that. <laughs> but anyway, my my uh, my polio leg is and Achilles tendon leg uh, is the leg I push off of when I uh, when I sprint. Um, I wanted to, I wanted uh, Rob Barazzi reminded me we need to finish that uh, Emilio Estevez story from Sundance. Oh yeah, oh yeah, right. Go ahead. C- because this was, you know, there was Emilio across the bar and he's talking to some girl and we're there and these guys are, money is exchanging hands. They're like, we're, you know, Emilio's uh, taller and, and some people are like, I think Lemmy's got this one. And I'm, you know, my heart is pounding. I, but bet, finally I bet on I, Emilio. He bet on Emilio. And and I, you know, we started the walk. It's, it's like the reverse <laughs> walk of shame, like this dead man walking, you know, I'm like walking slowly across the bar, heart is pounding. And I can hear them like, you know, they're fucking peanut guy. They're talking shit the whole way, you know, like, like, don't be on your tippy toes, you know, like, like some, some smack talk. And about halfway there, I realize I've got Emilio beat. And that's when like, I, you know, I start to relax and I'm, you know, I'm looking back at the guys and I'm starting my pimp roll towards Emilio. And then I come and I saunter around him back to back. You know, I'm like four inches taller than Emilio. Or something like that. I come, yeah. I come strutting back, you know, like a like a peacock. But then we sent Barachi, and because Barachi is shorter than I was, and now the onus was on Barachi to somehow uh, defeat Emilio Estevez in this arbitrary height contest, and Barachi lost to Emilio Estevez. <laughs> he did. And I actually, and I the, well, the funny thing about it, Hayes, is that you would expect me to have some sympathy, but this is like. This is like its own form of crime. It's short on short crime. Like he came back. I was like, what's up, you short motherfucker? (laughs) (laughs) What's up, you fucking Oompa Loompa motherfucker? (laughs) Now, when a short guy gets to be the tall guy, you don't want to be around that, Hayes. It's ugly. (laughs) It's a huge win. It's ugly. I saw Emilio Estevez in the best context that I could ever see him because he looked exactly like uh, his character from Young Guns. It was at the start of the pandemic when everyone was still really scared to go to the grocery store and you still had to wear a mask. So I had to pick up my my wife was cooking. She needed some produce and I wasn't just going to go down to the store to get the produce because it was a little weird going into like a Vaughn's or something back then. You felt like you had to like lace up with the antibacterial wipes and the gloves and everyone was really rude when you went in there. So I Googled um, produce and I found like way up in Malibu, there was a farm that was selling all of their stuff and you could place an order and then go pick it up. So I drive up to Malibu. I'm deep in the mountains. I'm waiting to pick up my berries and my, and my romaine lettuce and all this stuff. And they call out the names when the order's ready. And so I'm standing up front and I'm, I'm waiting to get my, my order. And the, <laughs> the woman comes up and she goes, Emilio, Emilio, your order's ready. And I'm like, Emilio. And I turn back to my right and there's Emilio Estevez with a bandana as a mask over his eyes. And he's like, 
I'm right here. I'm like, Holy shit. He looks just like his character from Young Guns. <laughs> and was he? I had to tell him, I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm so excited to meet you. This is so great. And the fact that you're wearing a bandana over your face makes it all the more better. <laughs> As he's on his tippy toes looking up over the counter. Tippy toes grabbing grabbing his carrots. Yeah. Get those up there. See what I'm talking about? That's what we that's what we do. Like, wow. Harsh. That's harsh. <laughs> he didn't appear to me to be that small, actually. I think, I think it was the cowboy hat and the and the mask gave him a really grand presence. And his and the big heels on his cowboy boots. You stayed in character for thirty years, man. <laughs> these short guys carry knives, Hayes. These short guys, you got to be careful with these guys. They carry knives against each other. Yeah, dude. But that's you know that's the it's, uh, you know it's a boy named Sue. It's that's what we've you know yeah grown up. It's like we know how to we know how to punch up. Like you got to beware of the uppercut. I mean, that's all we're, we're going to hit you with is the uppercut. <laughs> but don't get me, dude. What is it? What's this stuff? I've been hearing about Rhino Dart. Is this? A, is it a, a beverage, a drink, liquor? What What do you got going here? He's switching hats. Rhino Dart. Uh, it's a uh, Rhino Dart. Is a cocktail that one of my best friends used to make, and it's uh, it's it's like an agave based citrus cocktail, and he puts wild flour honey in it and so it masks the taste of the, the alcohol uh and so we were like we should you know people are making these uh ready to drink cocktails we should do it and so actually it's been like a two-year project but we we launched in nashville uh back in april and uh it's eight percent abv which is strong mm, hence the, the the rhino dart because you, you just pass out yeah. when you drink one of them yeah it's like strong. the buzz is nice and when you you know after a couple you look like you've been you know you, you look like you've been darted but it's delicious and uh yeah we launched well, it what's the spirit what's the spirit in there agave it's it's tequila but you can only say tequila we have discovered that it's like champagne you can, if it's from a certain region of right. Mexico, otherwise it's it's agave. So it's it's an agave spirit with citrus, the wildflower honey. Um, you know, we did our I've first order. I, I drank it in Nashville. It's 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 excellent. Um, it's got a little um, sweet flavor to it, and you, you drink a couple of those, and you're you know you're pretty loosey goosey there. Um, and that's what that's what is it the guy's is, wife is it only said in Nashville. Me. Oh, I don't I'm know. leaving to go to Nashville tomorrow. So, uh, is it still down there? Can I get it? Yeah, yeah. Are you really going to Nashville? I really am. Yeah, Where, I'm be down yeah. for four days. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can get there. Stores you can get it in. There's some bars you can get it in. Where are you? Where are you going? I love that. I'm gonna go check out the NHL draft because uh, the Chicago Blackhawks have the first pick. So my son and I are gonna go uh, witness the pick, brother. Do you know what's crazy? Do you know what's crazy? Is I was reading a stat that was like the Blackhawks. Black Hawks were not going to make the playoffs. And they and right at the end of the season with like a couple – they had lost like 14 games. I don't know how many in a row, but they beat the Penguins. And, That's right. And, and people were like, what the fuck are they doing? They're not going to – but they beat the Penguins and knocked the Penguins out of the playoffs. And the Panthers got into the playoffs. And the feeling is that – what ha- like the pan- like that the Penguins wouldn't have beaten the Bruins, but the Panthers did. Whatever it was – it all panned out that the, what happened is if they hadn't have won that game and eliminated the Penguins, Columbus Blue Jackets would have somehow wound up potentially getting that first pick. 
And because of that victory, that seemingly meaningless victory, they have now wound up with the greatest. Yeah, it was a weird victory. It knocked one team out of the playoffs and then positioned them to, yeah, get this pick yeah. in the lottery. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. The guy, he's in my Instagram algorithm now, Connor Bedard. Because, like, the things he does. The videos of him working out, and it's like, like you saw Avon Drago in, in Rocky IV. They've got him hooked up to oxygen machines. And he's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And he's, you know, what is he, like 17 years old or something like that? And he, uh, were you, were you uh, keeping track of the playoffs, even though the Blackhawks weren't in it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was a great. I thought every, every series was great up until the, till the cup. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the Eastern Conference, the Panthers, man, that run was incredible, and I was I was sad that they ultimately laid down right at the end there. Um, but you know, what, what are they, you going to? They do? were sneaky good, and the Bruins having the best season in NHL history with the President's Cup and all poised to to make the whole run. It's just a curse. It's the and curse of the President's Cup. Make it, it's, yeah, it's the curse of the President's. But there was, uh, did you see? There was like one broadcast where they had Connor Bedard on. And he's, you know, like the panel, it's like, uh, it's, you know, Gretzky and Anson Carter and, you know, and, and Bizonette and uh, now I can't remember the other one is, but like, they're, they're like, what, is it unbelievable to be here sitting next to Wayne Gretzky and talking about it? And, and he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, no, this is, this is unbelievable. I'm, I'm here. I'm surrounded by all these great hockey players uh, and Bizonette. And, uh, and like just 16 or 17 year old kid just took down the guy next to Gretzky and everyone's laughing at him. And you're like, he's ready for the NHL. He's ready. It's funny when you see these guys that are ready in any sport, when you think they're going to be great. Part of it is when all the attention's on them and they're getting asked about their accomplishments and their training and what they want to do for the future. They just have this mindset, great athletes, where they're like, you know, it's not really about me. It's about the team. It's about the guys I'm working with. Like they know how to deflect. So they already seem like they've done something incredible. Yeah. But they, they just with this mind, it's, it's, it's not me. You know, I was given these talents and I work really hard. And you're like, how do you just naturally speak like that? That's your mindset. Like you already know well, I what feel, makes a great player great. I do feel that hockey players are the most like that naturally. Like, cause those, because it is like, it's because of the fighting, you know, it's like they have grown up with the, first of all, don't touch our goalie. We will murder you right. if you touch our goalie. Like it's a, such a team oriented <laughs> sport and it's because of the, the goonery that happens in hockey. It's like, you have to be watching out for your teammates because the refs can't see everything. And that's what it is. You got to stick up for each other. That's part of the team plan. And so it's like... Uh I just showed my son the movie. I think it's one of the best sports movies ever made. Goon. Mm -hmm. uh, with Jay Baruchel and Sean William Scott. It's, it, it's just super cool. Like it looks cool, but it also, I think other than Slapshot is the best hockey movie ever made. Dude. And I'd even put it right up there because of what you said, the, the roles, there's like archetypes, the hockey players, like there's the fighter, there's the cocky goal scorer. They need each other. There's the old wily defenseman. You know? mm -hmm. And so you get them all together and it like fits like a puzzle when you, do, when you put the team together. Do you together. remember the interview after Duncan Keith? It was, it was when they, I think they won like a, the semifinals to get into the finals. He took a, or probably the finals where he took a puck to the, teeth and knocked out yeah. I think it was like four or seven teeth 
And they, they yes. were, and he went back in the game after that and finished the game. They won, and then they he interviewed him after. He did, he did, they interview him after. They're like, how how are the teeth? He goes, well, you know, I lost a couple of teeth, but I didn't have real good teeth to begin with. So, and you're like, wow, I love it. <laughs> Could you imagine any other context where you lose all of your front teeth, get stitches, and then you're like, I'm fine. I'll be back in 20 minutes. <laughs> and by the way, on the ice, they're like, where'd the teeth go? And he's like, oh, I swallowed me. Like, his teeth are in his stomach. And he's playing... He won the Conn Smythe Trophy. I, I would say because of that exact thing. Dude, hockey is intense. Like back in the, you know, like uh, like I had dated a girl whose father uh, was the COO of the Philadelphia Flyers. And so when, you know, the Flyers would come to town and play the Rangers, I would go out with him and Bobby Clark the night before the game. When, you know, when they got into town, we'd sit in their hotel bar. And first of all, it's like I'd show up and they had been drinking vodka for hours already. And I'd drink beers and I'd leave blacked out and they were still there drinking vodka and I'd sleep till like 2 p.m. the next day. And they were up at 7 a.m. getting in some golf before, you know, going to their morning skate. And uh, but they they would they told me that like it back when they were growing up in Canada in like the 50s and 60s, like if you were on one of those Bantam teams and it was like you were good, you know, they knew you were going to be good when their grown up teeth would come in, they would just pull them out because they were like. <laughs> Let's get this over. Let's with. get it over with because they're going to get knocked out, and it's better to do it here in a controlled environment than have it knocked out. And you're going to have a team doctor stitching you up, and you're going to. And the thing is, you're going to lose. You're going to miss a couple of shifts. So like, let's get it over with. That's hardcore. That's incredible. Yeah, Jesus that's hardcore. Christ. Especially uh, when those guys played when they would stop pucks with their faces. Yeah. It was just part of the game. My brother was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he told a story where he had a. He had his prized jersey since he was a kid as a Tony Esposito jersey. It was like a, a great goalie for the Blackhawks. And he met Bobby Hall, who was another great Blackhawk. And, and, and he had had this jersey his whole life, and he didn't want anything to happen to it. He always kept it really clean. And so he goes up and he introduces himself to Bobby Hall. And Bobby Hall goes, come here, kid. I'll sign that jersey for you. And he takes out a Sharpie marker and just writes on it. And my brother's just crying. This is jersey's getting signed. But wait, but wait, but it was, oh, it was an Esposito jersey. But, you know. It, it was an Esposito. It didn't even make sense. You don't want another guy's signature on another guy's jersey. That is, it feels like a violation. But, I mean, your problems could be worse, ultimately. It could be like. You know, somebody else, not Bobby Hull, uh, yeah, signed your shirt. Still a great signature. Well, he, his brother was was admittedly telling the story. He goes, "I was wrong to not want the signature, but I really didn't want him to put that signature on my shirt." He goes, right. "I know I'm the idiot. I know." I, um, so let me. We gotta. Uh, I know you gotta leave in a few minutes. So let's get to the. Um, we do a thing called vouch. Vouching, vouching, vouch vault, um, and where we each talk about one thing that we uh, love or are watching or reading or whatever. Um, so I'll go first. Uh, I saw the movie No Hard Feelings uh, with Jennifer Lawrence, um, uh, directed by Gene Stupnitsky and uh, written by uh, uh, my friend John and uh, and Hayes's uh, John Phillips and my Hayes's brother. Uh, Scott is is in the movie, um, and it's really good. And it's an R-rated film, and 
uh, it's dirty and it's funny. And you see this is the beginning of bringing the R-rated theatrical comedy back. Um, and I would recommend to everybody, I would vouch for this movie strongly that everyone should go, you know, smoke a bone and go watch uh, No Hard Feelings. It's, it's good. How much better is it seeing a comedy with other people in a theater? Massive from a laughter standpoint, Massively. it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, and uh, I know a lot of people are like, "Yeah, just as good to sit at home." And those people should shut the fuck up and go to the theater. <laughs> I love that it was sold out too. Sold out. I mean, it was sold out all Friday. It was sold out all Saturday. Like we went, you know, we went Friday, and then we were too close to the screen. The wife pulled us out of there, so then we went back Saturday. So I bought like. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You went to the movie, your seats were bad, and you left? Amen. I I, I just do what I'm told, pal. (laughs) Did you, did you, you were like, what was that? She's like, we got to get, you're like, she's like, I can't take the whole screen out. And I'm like, we parked. I, I think it's best after all these years just to go, okay, let's go. And we left, and then we went and had dinner. And the next night, we sat uh, two rows behind where we were in the same theater. And uh, we all loved it. Hey, man. Chandrasekhar is a notorious uh, movie exeter. Chandrasekhar will walk. If he's not 100% satisfied quickly, he'll walk. If the film's film's not good, I'm not going to waste any time in there. I'm going to sneak out. I'm going to get out of there. Um, But I love this Can I I tell a story about the best Chandrasekhar uh, exit of all time, (laughs) movie exit of all time? Yes. It was, uh, we had before anything, before we made Super Cheers, our, our movie Puddle Cruiser, we made a short film called The Tinfoil Monkey Agenda. Uh, like a 30 minute <laughs> film about a, a military, uh, American military outfit that goes down to a fictional South American country and extracts a, a dictator. But, you know, back then it's like you'd go to these film festivals and you got to try everything to, to promote uh, your movie. And so, uh, Shandra Sekar and Heffernan were at this film festival and Heffernan was in a gorilla costume wrapped wow. in tinfoil. And the two of them were, you know, like we, we were all cycling through this film festival. It was at multiple days and we had multiple screenings and, you know, handing out flyers, yeah. trying to get people to come see our. And just to remind the name of the movie is the tinfoil monkey agenda. So Heffernan's in the ape costume with tinfoil wrapped around. Go on. Yeah. And so, and you know how it is at those film festivals, you meet other filmmakers and you're like, I'll come to yours. If you come to mine, great. And so, uh, that filmmaker, you know, came to see our movie and then it was time for, uh, Jay and Kevin in the gorilla suit wrapped in tinfoil to reciprocate. And so they go and they sit down in this, uh, theater in the Angelica film, uh, center and they sit down and it turns out it's a documentary on the Holocaust and Jay and Kevin are sitting next to each other, and Kevin is in a gorilla costume and wrapped in tinfoil. And a few minutes in, Chandra Sekar, ever the crafty, ever the crafty fellow, decides he's making the first move. And without telling Kevin, Chandra Sekar gets up and fucking walks. Well, I, the movie was good. The problem was I was sitting next to a monkey in a tinfoil thing. And I'm like, I look terrible. I look like I'm mocking this movie. And I cannot, I gotta, I cannot sit next to this guy in a gorilla suit because I have to have respect for the Holocaust. So I pull out of there and Everton is now 
and before I leave, I look back and there's this monkey watching a Holocaust movie. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so terrible. I gotta get out of it. So I, I go out there and eventually a few minutes later, the monkey walks out and he's and he takes his head off and he's drenched in sweat because the tinfoil has really kept the heat in. And he goes, Oh man. Ugh, that was terrible. And it's so, it, was, it was funny. It was funny. To, me, to me, the greatest part about it is imagining, like, if you were in a, a Holocaust m- movie screening and all of a, a gorilla wrapped in tinfoil got up and walked out. Like, what would you think watching the, the gorilla walk out of the well, up the aisle and exit the theater? You know, you, know, you got to imagine it's probably an anti-Semitic gorilla or a guy. You know, you got to imagine. You got to wonder. Is there like a white power dude inside that gorilla costume? I mean, you got to wonder. Nazi I love him not taking the helmet off, too, because you, you wanted to keep it. There was no appropriate time to take off the helmet <laughs> until you leave. So you're committed to it. <laughs> That's my favorite uh, Chandra Sekhar exit story. Hayes, what are you vouching for? What am I vouching for? Um, I'm vouching for, uh, well, when I get down to Nashville and I find a rhino dart, I will, I'll come back with a review for for you guys over text chain first, and we we can talk about the the nuance of it. I'm excited to try it. So that perhaps will be my vouch in the future. Not, not now. Um, I got hip to some music. I've been listening to a lot of country lately, um, but this is not country. It's dance music. A new album called Dance Fever came out by Florence and the Machine. Uh, Florence Welsh has got that incredible voice, yeah. you know, the, the the red. She's got like a booming, angelic voice. And they they played this song. I was actually talking to our producer, Jess, about can we play the song during this segment of the show? And... We're not sure we have the budget to license the song, <laughs> but it's completely like not their other music, which is more ballady. This has like an LCD sound system, electronic kind of drive under it. And uh, if you're, you know, taking a run or throwing weights around, uh, I, she I, was, I love the song. She was at Coachella, I believe, Florence and the Machine. She's kind of a big act in the youngster crowd. I was originally going to vouch for my uh, air fryer, um, my Ninja air fryer, but you know it feels like because uh, I just had a, a five days with just my boys where that thing saved my ass because um, you can fucking cook a shoe in the air fryer and it'll turn into a sandwich. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's the Ninja air fryer if anyone's interested. But th- hearing you guys talking about art specific things it makes me want to uh shout out a band a band called camp have you guys heard of this band c-a-a-m-p love camp fantastic so like i saw them uh a few weeks ago at uh the beach life music festival down in uh, redondo beach but like i i've been tracking these guys for a few years now their first album is just called camp their second album is uh uh buy and by and by let me see yeah by and by and then they've got a new album out called lavender days and there to me it's like when you're like your night is winding down or like you're all partying together and it's like you want to you're always like well i want to put something like slightly mellower on but it's still like upbeat and and gorgeous and people will be like oh what is this this is this is awesome uh this has become a go-to band uh for me those first two albums i'm still getting to know uh 
the lavender days, but like, uh, but camp and, and by and by are like, like the guy can sing so beautifully. I'm glad yeah. you've heard of them, Hayes. So I'm going to vouch for Yeah, I saw him. I saw him a couple of weeks ago at the Bottle Rock Music Festival too. And they were awesome on stage. They've got a real uh, laid back look to him. My friend was commenting that the bassist was wearing like a, he looks like a camp counselor almost, literally. He had like a Columbia rain jacket on, just <laughs> wailing on the guitar. They, they haven't really given into their rock star look yet. They're just dudes jamming out. They are dudes jamming out. And so when I first became aware of them, it was during the pandemic. And I saw a clip of they were doing fireside concerts. They were going outside with a campfire, more camp. And probably like a hundred people would come and be spread out and they were just performing live outside like acoustic. I mean, they're an acoustic band basically, but, um, yeah. And then I started listening to them and I was like, God, these, these songs are incredible. And the guy's voice is so unique. So yeah. They're storytellers. That song, all the debts I owe that they have. Have you gotten hip to that song yet? That camp Let's it's see. really what, good. It's what album is that? Cause I, it's I'm called not... all the debt. It's the new one. Um, but it okay. just starts with oh, yeah. like, Hey baby, let's go rob, let's rob a bank in Chicago and hit the road. And you're like, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I'm <laughs> done. Fucking awesome. Yeah. That's, I think that's the first song they released from, uh, from that album. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's great. great. It was, that, that was on my, like a short checklist. I've got to see this band in concert. And then when they showed up at that beach life festival, it was like, I'm going. And it was like them and, and uh, John Fogarty and the black crows like, Whoa, this is an awesome yeah. festival. But nice. anyway, those guys, they were awesome. So I vouch for, Kim. we don't just see bands anymore. It's like all the bands have to play in the same venue at the same time. It's the new format for yeah. music, but the festivals, like it's a la carte, you know, I don't have time to go to four different concerts. I want to go to one and see him at the same see, time. What I'll say about that, what I'll say about that is that like, I've gone to concerts, you know, I, like I, I, I like to treat myself to a good seat. And then you, you're like, oh, I'm spending 500 bucks a ticket on this, um, in, on this concert. But with that one, it was like a hundred dollars. And I saw, like I said, it's like, I saw camp. I saw John Fogarty. I saw the black crows. And it was like six hours of seeing these bands. And it's like, each come out and do like 75 minutes and then they're off. And like, yeah. I was, and it was by the beach. It's on the beach. Like it was incredible. Tell me about it next year. I'll come with you. They're actually doing, uh, the one I'm thinking about going to, they're, they're doing beach life, uh, like in like September, or October, it's like a country version of beach life. And I know the Marshall Tucker band is going to be there and that's the main attraction for me on that one. But there's, you know, there's, there's still more. It's cool. I love it. Um, anything to plug any, any, uh, anything else, any, uh, upcoming events, anything? No, just, uh, Tacoma <laughs> FD July 20th. And this year, uh, TBS is going to run encore performances the following week. So if you, you know, if like on July 20th, you'll see episode one and then the following week, episode two will be on true TV and then episode one will be on TBS. And of course the first three seasons are on, uh, max right now uh and then wow. yeah rhino dart we are i'll tell you what august 3rd 4th and 5th i'm going to be in nashville um at the uh nashville sounds they've got a minor league baseball team which uh like pretty popular event and we're in a, a bar there called the Bandbox, and i'm going to be there all three nights um and we're going to have rhino dart tastings and uh and come by and say hi have a rhino dart 
I'm going to be at um, in St. Petersburg, Florida, July 6th, 7th, and 8th at, uh, I don't know where, but look it up. If you go to my Instagram, you can find the tickets. And then I'm also going to be at Thalia Hall in Chicago, July 21st. I'm doing two shows there. I'm recording a comedy special. Uh, and then I'm doing two shows in London, uh, August 10th and 12th. One's at the Bill Murray Theater and the other one's in Soho. The, the, the tickets will be on my Instagram link, link tree. You're a great salesman, Jay. This is what I've always appreciated about you. Like when we, when Kevin and I did our podcast, what we found it was good when you were giving out information was to actually give out the information. So like when you're like, I'm playing at this place, it's good to know the name. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying you might, it's a pro tip got, on your next go around. It's got a funky name. It's like, um, clear, the creative collective or something. I don't know. Don't worry. We'll, someone will figure it out. Just go dig around. You'll figure out where Jay's playing. You're doing great, Jay. You're doing great. <laughs> Coastal comedy. It's called, uh, at the Coastal Creative, it's the Coastal Creative, July 6th, 7th, and 8th. It's going to be great. Well done. All right, buddy. Well, look at you guys. You got along after such a, 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 a aggressive start to this conversation and your relationship. You brought it home. I have high hopes. It's, you know, what. also what Jay should remember is that, like, if he's going to come out with a full-on attack like that, it's, it's best... <laughs> like to comb your hair and fucking be slightly presentable. Because when you look like a, a bag of shit that just rolled out of bed, it cuts your own legs out from under you. Like, I'm not, I'm not threatened at all. I'm like, look at this fucking guy. It's, it's true. The hairdo is terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> it's all right. It's like a you, like Gumby. It's all right. Yeah, that's right. All right, buddy. Thank All you right. so much for doing this. It was so uh, fun. Later, Steve. Thanks, boys. Good to see you, man. Yeah, man. We'll see you soon. Mustache Tales.